Entrepreneur on Fire, episode 235. Welcome to EntrepreneurOnFire.com, where remarkable entrepreneurs share their inspiring story. Let their journey illuminate your path to success. And now, your host, John Dumas. Ting, whoa, what was that? Ting, oh yeah, that's the name of the hottest new mobile service around. Ting is a no BS mobile service provider who's ready to light your fire. Visit fire.ting.com and receive a $25 credit today. Audible has audiobooks in dozens of genres, perfect for your whole family. Get a free audiobook and 30-day trial today by signing up at audiblepodcast.com slash fire. That's audiblepodcast.com slash fire. Okay, Fire Nation, let's get started. I am simply thrilled to introduce my guest today, Howard Marks. Howard, are you prepared to ignite? Yes. All right. Howard founded Activision Games and Acclaim Games. Now he's the co-chair of Start Engine, the largest tech accelerator in Los Angeles. I've given Fire Nation just a little overview, Howard, but take a minute. Tell us about you personally because we want to get to know you. And then tell us a little bit about your business. I was born in Santa Monica and grew up for a few years in Santa Monica, but then moved to France when I was six and grew up in France from the age of six to 19. And then at that point, while I was in high school, I started discovering the idea of a personal computer, which was that time revolutionary. And I started to feel for the first time in my life that I had an opportunity to do something that I was excited about, given that school was not interesting to me. But what was interesting was the ability to be creative and build programs for personal computers. Remember, at that time, that was over 30 years ago, Wow! personal computer had a cassette recorder. <laughs> and then just after I started getting interested, they introduced the notion of a diskette where you can put some stuff on a disk program so you don't have to put it on a cassette recorder anymore. The hard drives were not even out there yet. And they were for large computers, but not personal computers. And so I was able to witness... At a very young age, around 17, the beginning of the computer industry. And I decided very early, around then, that I'm going to be in that business. And I and I was reading stories about Steve Jobs and Bill Gates and really inspired by their journeys. The fact that they were young when they started and they had no fears and they were able to succeed was a huge driver. It really opened up the doors for me. Well, Howard, that is just a really good start to this interview because there's a lot of people out there who are either a generation older than you or a generation younger than you that just, they were not really into this kind of activity, this this revolution of the computer. And the fact that you were and you have a story to tell through it is going to be really great to delve into. And we're going to get into it. But before we do, Let's start with that success goal we talked about. Let's get this motivational ball rolling. Take it away. Well, I learned from a a friend of mine. He was um, an incredible journalist. He was the first journalist to interview me and my partner when we had our software company. It was called Arctronics. And we had this product called Jane. It was a software product that we put on the Apple II. Now, keep in mind, the Apple II at that point had 48K of memory, which is basically the same amount of... (laughs) memory that you use for a logo on a web page. Right. And we had to build a program that was a word processor, spreadsheet, and a database with Windows and a mouse controller on an Apple II. This is revolutionary of its time. And when we did that, very quickly we got interviewed by the press. And one of these writers, his name is Steve Kindell, he was a writer at Forbes magazine, interviewed us. And was fascinated about what we were doing. And he was like, you know what? I think I can help you guys. I said, great. You know, he's a journalist. He wants to help us. We're excited. He you know, interviews some of the bigger business people out there. And he said, well, I'm going to give you guys some advice that I've learned a long time ago. I said, what is your advice? He says, if you don't ask, you don't get. That stuck with me a long time because you know what? He was right. Most people, they're just afraid to ask. I meet with entrepreneurs every day now in, in my new career with Start Engine. 
And I met with one today who went to Columbia University. He's brilliant. He has software experience. He's an econ economist. And he said, well, what should I tell this guy I'm meeting with today? He's a potential advisor, board member, investor. I said, well, you should tell him exactly what you want. Tell him, I want you to invest. I want you to join my board. And you know that, that notion of you don't ask, you don't get is fundamental for an entrepreneur. That's really where it starts because you can't do it everything yourself. You need support. You need mentors. How do you get a mentor? You ask. You say, I want you to be my mentor. You need investors. You say, I want you to invest. You need, I don't know, you need to sell something. You need, to, you need a customer. You say, I want you as my customer. And people are inspired. People, people don't reject you because you ask. It's not like going on in high school and asking for a prom date. I mean, people are terrified. But you know, I'll tell you what. You're in business. There should be no fear. The only fear you should have is, is basically failure. And fear of failure is actually a good thing. It actually helps you. But that's it. The rest of the time, you just go for it. And that's my advice. That's great advice. And that is just the fundamental principle of if you don't ask, you don't get. And that just applies on so many levels of being an entrepreneur. And Howard, let me just ask you, give us one story when you just asked and you got when you didn't expect to and you wouldn't have otherwise. In my career, when I asked and I got what I thought I couldn't get, oh, I have, I have a lot of stories. I mean, let me... Let me go through some of the, the, the highlights. I mean, I met my, my business partner. We were roommates in college. We became roommates on our own choices. And I was working for Apple as a consultant for Apple France. And I was helping them. And they were giving me equipment and all of that. And there was a, um, an opportunity for, uh, for me to become an employee of Apple. And I just didn't think that was interesting to me. I was kind of actually getting depressed at the notion that I would actually have to get a job. I was just having too much fun. And we started our first software company. And there was a guy who heard about us. And he sent us a letter because, you know, at that time, it was, uh, there was no email, by the way. <laughs> right. He said, hey, I want to come and meet you guys. I heard about you guys. So I called him up. We did have phones. Come on. We're not that old. <laughs> and I called him up on a regular line phone, by the way. And I said, hey, I got your letter. Um, tell me about yourself. And so the guy was saying, well, look, I, I was one of the early investors in Apple. And I'm uh, uh, very successful. And I've done a lot of investments. I want to come to Michigan. That's where we were in Ann Arbor. And visit you. I said, sure, fine. So he shows up and we're like, oh, well, that's great. How do we handle a guy like that? You know, what, what do we do? He shows up and meets with us literally for about an hour. So he, he, he travels from Silicon Valley, comes out there, meets with us for an hour, looks around, looks at our office, and we're just kids. I was 19 years old and then leaves. And we're like, all right, well, that was interesting. And the next morning, that was a Friday. The next morning, Saturday morning. And in Michigan, it's cold, so we had there was snow. We had to put our Timberland boots on, our jeans, our sweaters. And, you know, we're entrepreneurs. We work on Saturday, by the way. Oh, yeah. We work on Sunday as well. So we go in the office, and we're, like, tired. And it's like this office where we had uh, kind of a windowed door. And underneath the door, there's an envelope. So, I, you know, you know, they're, they're, you know, the people leave mail all over the place. So we gra I grab the envelope and go in on my desk and I'm getting some coffee and my partner is doing reading the Wall Street. You know, he's kind of relaxed Saturday morning, but we're going to go and work and we're going to do some stuff. We had stuff to do. So I leave the, the, the envelope on a letter on the table and it said Mark, M-A-R-K. So I didn't even know it was for me because I'm Howard Marks. I'm, I'm not Mark. Right. So I come back to my desk and eventually I look at it and I open it. And there's like this big three-page handwritten letter with the hotel stationery. It says, Dear Mark, love your, our meeting with you. This is great. I can help you grow your company. And he puts a chart together and how... 
numbers can grow and I can help you with distribution for your software and this. And then I'm going to help you. And there's an arrow pointing to a check that he stapled on the letter for a hundred thousand dollars. Now this is 1983. Wow. That's like 275 in today's terms. A guy, he just met us. He doesn't know us. I mean, I mean, he just put the check and I'm like, I don't believe this. Right. I don't believe this. This is so bizarre. And, you know, we were had a hard time deciding what to do because it's a check for what? What are you giving us the money for? It's not like there was a round that was open. We're not even raising money. We didn't know how to raise money. We didn't know what we were doing. We're just building a business. We had some investors. And we decide to check if this check is good. And they, the bank checks and says, yeah, it's good. If you cash it in, we'll pay. I'm going to say, well, you can't cash it in because you don't know what you're cashing it in for. I said, so who cares? We have the money. He doesn't. He said, well, it doesn't work that way. Said, All right. Couldn't get hold of the guy. He disappeared. Couldn't get hold of him. Wrote him a letter saying, hey, can we talk about term? Gone. So we were like, you know what? Let's move on. And then I realized, I said, you know what? The kinds of things that happen to you in business, you can't expect it. You can't be looking for answers. Things happen. It's, there's always another day. There's always an opportunity. And, it, and we learned that pretty clear, clearly early. And we started building our business and we had lots of ups and downs and tons of failure. But we never, we never lost faith that we were building something that would last forever. We never lost faith that we would be successful. And last, we never even thought that there was another plan B. We never thought there was an out. Oh, let me go and get a job. Let me do something more, more lucrative. We never thought of that. Oh, well, why not? Let's go and get a job at IBM or at Goldman Sachs, or let's do something more like our friends were doing. No, we were about vision, mission. That's it. We had something to build. We wanted to get it done. And even if it was painful and hard, we would do it. So did you cash that check for 100000 No. You never did. Did you ever get in contact with that guy again? Oh, these disappeared. Oh, that's so interesting. And you're so right, Howard, about how you just never know what that next day of business is going to bring. And that's one thing that I love when I wake up in the morning and Entrepreneur on Fire, I never know what that next email is going to bring, another amazing opportunity. And it's just abounding these days. It's so powerful. And let me just step back and say this. You have so far been a master storyteller. You've been weaving this great story. And that's the essence of Entrepreneur on Fire. You're our spotlighted guest. So let's keep this up. You mentioned briefly that you've gone through multiple failures. And of course you have, because that's that's what being an entrepreneur is all about. Share with us one of those failures that really stands out and tell us how you overcame that. We were running our software company. That was in the early 80s. And we're running out of money. The reason we're running out of money is because our product took longer to make. And we had payroll. We had to pay. At that point, I think our payroll was $14,000 a month. And you know what? That's a lot of money. Oh, yeah. And we were running out of money. And the last thing we're going to do is go back to our investors and our parents and say, oh, we need money. So what are we going to do? We had no idea what to do. We knew that the product could come out. We knew we could sell it, but we need money in the meantime. So we had an opportunity to go to San Francisco for uh, the Apple II convention. There was a convention that Apple put together, and we got to meet with Steve Jobs. Wow. And, you know, all the advice he gives us, you know, clearly we're like, ah, you know, whatever, you know, what does he know? You know, we're kind of like young and arrogant. And Steve tells us this, look. When you go to this show, what you should do is bring a thousand of those products. It's called Jane, software packages for the Apple II. Bring a thousand of them and tell, and don't give them away, which was traditionally what people did at these conventions. Sell it for 20 bucks. Say, give me 20 bucks and I'll give you a piece of software that retails for $99. Now, typically, you know, the retailers, all these guys who own stores that are all around the country are coming to find what's new and hot and they are used to getting things for free. So we said, okay, we'll do it. You know, sounds like a good idea. And we put a big banner above our booth that said $20 for Jane. Steve said, buy it. <laughs> so, 
It literally said Steve said on that sign. Yes. Oh, I love that. Yeah, because you know we you know if we figured that would be funny. Of course, I found it funny. We start selling for twenty dollars. People would give us these twenty dollar bills. At the end of the show, we sold all of them. Now, keep in mind, building this product box with diskettes cost us probably two or three dollars. So it was there's no real cost for us to have that inventory. We brought back there was twenty thousand dollars of cash. And I had a briefcase, like this this metal briefcase, Halliburton briefcase that was really <laughs> beautiful. And I had to put it in and I had a little combination on it and I locked it and I, I said, We need we need handcuffs, right? Arm because this is our peril. This is our life. This is it. So we flew back to Michigan, pretty successful, pretty happy. We had a good show, and we had money for that month. And then a little bit more left. And then we realized, first of all, this thing could go. We could sell more of them. And that helped us succeed, at least at that moment. So the lesson was there's always a way. There's always a way. We could have just failed. We could have just said, you know what? We're running out of money. We'll shut it down. No, we refused. And we, we went forward. And that was an amazing experience to know that, you know, first of all, there are people out there like Steve Jobs was very helpful. He was always available to talk and, and, and help and give ideas. And, and there's another way to, to make some money in the meantime so that we can make payroll. And that was an amazing opportunity. Wow, that's an amazing opportunity and a great lesson pulled from what was potential failure. And that's one thing that I get time and time again when I'm talking and having conversations with these amazing entrepreneurs such as yourself is that it seemed like they always get to this point where perseverance is necessary, is mandatory, when you need to persevere through these tough times. And it's the weak ones that fall by the wayside, those that don't persevere and they take no for an answer, but it's the ones that just keep your head down and keep searching for answers for ways just to keep that runway going a little longer that come out on the other side. So thank you for sharing that near failure, that massive challenge and obstacle that you overcame and that lesson learned from it. And let's continue forward in your journey, Howard, as an entrepreneur to an aha moment, to a light bulb that came on. Obviously, you've had some great light bulbs. I mean, come on, Act, uh, Activision Games, Acclaim Games. Share with us an actual story when you just sat up in bed or just this light bulb went off at some point on a walk and you said, wow, this is something that resonates with me. I want to move forward with this. And how'd you turn that into success? Flash forward several years now. We're not in Michigan anymore. We're in Los Angeles. Yeah. Okay. And we had a business that was doing about $12, 13000000 million in revenue, mostly from Europe. So I was in Europe as well. Helping that revenue was for the personal computer against software. And we said, you know what? This is not going to last. This is not a great business. It's a good business. A lot of people would love to have that business, but it's not for us. And we knew that we needed something different. So my partner loved to read annual reports. And one of the annual reports he was reading was Activision. It was a company that was failing year after year that was doing terribly uh, on the market. They were losing market share. They were losing money. They were running out of money. Their stock was below a dollar on the stock market and on the NASDAQ. And he, he felt, wow, there's maybe something there. So we looked into it and found that, you know, it's a great brand. And what is their brand exactly, Howard? The brand really, they their name was Mediagenic at that point. They, okay. they, they changed their name from Activision to Mediagenic because they wanted to do database software. They wanted to do games. They wanted to do all sorts of things. It was quite unfocused. What that brand meant a lot to people who played the Atari game machines, like the Atari 2600. They played Pitfall, River Raid, Kaboom, Tennis, all these games that Activision had in the early days, which was a huge success. But then everybody understands that Atari went by the waysides, and, and so did Activision, and they never recovered. And they were still running the company, and the guy who was running the company was a lawyer and not, a, a, not really an entrepreneur, not really a software game guy, but you know, a lawyer. And he was running the business, and the business was running into the ground. And, there were, and it was losing lawsuits left and right. It was just awful. And we looked at that and everybody's like telling us, look, this is a terrible thing. 
the company's going out, it's going to go bankrupt, and you guys will lose all your money if you invest in it, and it's a bad idea. So then we said, you know what, if people really feel that way, that means it's a, probably a very good idea. <laughs> True. You know, you have to be a little bit counter here. You, you can't be always in agreement with everybody, especially if the general consensus is this is a bad company. That means opportunity. Contrarian, baby. But real opportunity because no one wants it. So guess what? We made a play for it. We found an investor who owned 30% and we gave him $400,000. It's a lot of money. $400,000 for 30% of Activision. Today, that's worth $4 billion. But that's... Who cares? Who's counting? No one's counting here. Except maybe that guy that gave it up for 400000 He might be counting. Well, it was a, a fund, you know. <laughs> right. Pretty upset was the situation. They wanted out. They got out. So then one of our investors, who was our original partner, is Steve Wynn, who owns the Golden Nugget Mirage at that point, and that's before Wynn Resorts. Right. And he said, well, let's bring in the guy and talk to him because, you know, the way you take over a company, there's several ways. One, they agree to let you control it, which is rare. Most of the time, you have to go and fight. You have to go and get lawyers, armies of lawyers, and have a fight, proxy fight. You go in, you buy shares, and you hire lawyers, and you fight, and you go to the annual board meeting, and you take all of the director slates, and then you fire the CEO. How about that? It's a lot of work. Yeah. So Steve's idea was like, you know what? Let's meet the guy. So there was a convention in Las Vegas where Steve Wynn lived, and he had this beautiful, big, white office with white leather, white flooring, white walls, pure leather, Las Vegas-looking office. You know, the only thing missing in his office was a white tiger. <laughs> yes, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, because Siegfried and Roy was his performers. For right. Him. These are the magicians. Anyway, so he basically invited this, the, the CEO. The CEO shows up, comes in. He says, hi, Mr. Davis. Yeah, hi, Mr. Wynn. And he's kind of a little nervous. He's a little nervous because, you know what? Not everybody gets to meet Steve Wynn. Steve Wynn's a pretty well-known guy, and even at that time. So they sit down and talk about the business. And he said, look. He called us the boys. He said, the boys, the, the boys. Let me tell you this. I'm going to help those boys. We're going to take over your company. I don't care how much it costs. We're just going to do it. So maybe you want to think about finding a way out right now or you don't, but they have all the money they need. I'm behind them and it's going to happen. I cannot tell you, the guy was walking out of the office shaking. <laughs> and, you know, it's one thing, and he's a lawyer, so he's a sophisticated guy. It's one thing to think I can fight this. It's one thing to think there's no way I'm going to win. So. A few weeks later, he calls us and says, look, I'll tell you what. If you give me this, you give me that, you know, a settlement. You know, even though the company has no money, I need this, I need that. We, we made a deal. We made a settlement. We, okay. And he said, company's yours. And we're like, what? And we, at that point, were in control of Activision. Except that the story is, even though we were in control of the company and we fired the entire board, now we had a company that was losing tens of millions of dollars. In fact, I think they lost $60 million that year on $40 million of revenue, which means negative sales, selling things for more than it costs you. No, I'm talking, that's what you should be doing. You're selling for cartridges for less than what it was costing you to make. It's wow. It, you might as well bury them in the, in the desert. So we took over control, and now what? We had to go... We had to do something, and we had a plan. Our plan was to bankrupt the company. So we bought out the banks so we could control the debt, and we controlled all the most of the equity. We had 30% largest shareholder, and we went to the bankruptcy court and said, look, we have a plan. The plan is to recapitalize the company, bring some more money in. We'll have to lay off most of the people, move the company down to Los Angeles. What do you say? The trustee, the judge were like, you know what? Sounds great. Let's go. 45 days later, we were out. We had a company that was that had more, no more debt, that was clean, that we owned a big share of it, and we were ready to rock. And we started making games. That was what we were about. We hired new people. Now, most people at the time didn't want to work for Activision because they were like, ah, bankrupt company. Why should I work with you guys? We hired 
the smartest, brightest people could find out right out of school. They had no experience in the game industry. We didn't care. We knew they were smart. They loved games. Let's go. So we made games, and some of them started becoming successful. And year over year, we were building the company. It was painful. But today, it's the largest video game company in the world. And what it shows you is that first one, you couldn't predict. No one could predict that would happen. I can tell you, the printer, the landlord who took all the, the equity on the bankruptcy, because they were owed a lot of money from Activision. If they kept those stock, which I, who knows if they did, if they did keep it, they would have made a thousand times their money, by the way. So, yes, there is, there is a moral to the story, which is you have a vision, you have a drive, you go for it, anything can happen. And we got lucky. We got very lucky. The company became successful. We were successful. And we decided, let's make it bigger. I left 10 years later in 99. And I went on my own way to start an internet company that ended up coming together. And I and not a, didn't, was nowhere near as successful Activision. We did okay. But I saw the same thing happening with Acclaim. Acclaim Games was a company out of New York and out of Long Island, and they ran into similar trouble. And in 2004, November 2004, they liquidated. Literally, they, they decided to go bankrupt and not restart the company, but actually go bankrupt. Very unusual situation. Usually people try to do it again, right? Let's restructure it. Let's revive it. Nothing. So I called up the trustee and he said, I want to buy the company. He said, really? What do you want? I said, well, I want the name. I want the trademarks. I want the games. He says, well, you're coming a little late because a lot of the games are being sold. And the only thing we have left is a big inventory of boxes. You want those boxes? I said, no, I'm not interested. I said, just sell me the name. Sell me the, the trademarks, the URLs, you know, the, the, the company, the logo, you know, the stuff that everybody knows. I mean, hundreds of millions of people played their games. Yeah, the brands. Fine, fine. They said, well, make us an offer. Make an offer. Like, okay, well, what should I do? How do I make an offer? How much should I pay? Now, the way bankruptcy works is very simple. The first person who makes an offer is called the minimum offer because no one can offer for less, right? You have to offer more, and it becomes an auction. And in an auction, the first bid is the one who takes the risk because if no one shows up, you have to pay because it's a binding bid. So you have to lowball the bid, right? You can't come in blazing guns and and say let's offer a big number now the company the year before did about 240 million in revenue so it was a substantial company losing a lot of money they in their heyday had mortal Kombat that sold i don't know hundreds of millions of copies it was just a huge success oh i remember playing it as a kid yeah moral monday monday no kid went to school because to buy moral Kombat. <laughs> There's a defining moment for the company, right? Mortal Monday. Well, guess what? I decided, I talked to a lawyer and I said, what should I offer? He says, eh, can't offer much because you want to be lowball. How about 100000 I said, 100000 That's not a lot for a company of that size. He said, yeah, but you know what? Get started, see what happens. I said, you're right, you're right, let's do it. So I make the offer. Now, the trustee is not too happy. He said, okay, I take your offer, but... You know, not very excited. Now, this is in April. And I say to the trustee, I say, so when are we going to have the auction? He says, I don't know when. I'll let you know. So, you know, week goes by, week goes by. And I'm wondering, what is going to happen here? Someone's going to show up with a $10 million offer. And I'm probably not going to match it, you know, because I don't want to spend the money. So, comes July, early July, I get a, a call from the guy. He says, okay, we got the auction date, August 8th. Or I think, oh, yeah, August 7th or 8th. Really? It's in Long Island, right? It's in Oyster Bay on Long Island. That's where the, the court is. So I called the lawyer up and said, hey, it's August 8th. He said, fantastic. I said, why? He said, because everybody's on vacation. <laughs> Who's going to be watching August 8th? Who's gonna, everybody's on vacation. Anybody who has any money is going to be vacationing. I said, okay, that's great. So then what they have to do yeah, the court has to publish in some local newspaper the auction, right? So it's public. So they publish it in some, you know, 
newspaper, I don't know, like auction, you know, some buried some page. It was know? pretty obscure, probably. Ah, yeah. It's not like front page newspaper. I'm <laughs> afraid that the whole internet is going to talk about it. Because how many fans there are for a claim? Of course. So they, they publish it, and that was not online. It was not online. It was on paper. They publish it in radio silence. And I'm like wondering, week by week goes by. We get to August 8th, and I decide I'm not going to go to the court, and I want to do it from L.A. And the lawyer agreed because, you know, you want to make it as innocuous as possible. You have a lawyer showing up. The, the buyer is not there. And they want to get done, by the way. By the way, there's one thing you have to learn. The, lawyer, the, the, the judge and the trustee want to be done. They have tons of other cases waiting behind them. They just don't want to be, continue on, right? And they have an offer, but it's not a good offer. So they go in and they say, the judge says, okay, Mr. Lawyer representing Howard Marks, you know, we have your offer. Who else is there? So the trustee comes, Mr. Judge, we don't have other offers. I'm like, what? I'm on the phone and I'm like cringing. I said, I can't believe this. The judge says, well, where's, where's the former CEO of the company? Where, where's his offer? Where's, where's the bankers? Where, where, where's everybody? It's like, no, Your Honor, we don't have any other offers. So the judge is mulling over it, mulling over it. It's like, all right, offer Howard Marks 100000 we take. Done. Signed it, <laughs> it was over. The next day come all the oppositions. You got, because now it was public that I, we got it for $100,000, right? And there were like people coming in left and right opposing the deal. But the judge says, look. We, we did everything by the book. It's done. Can't go back. There's no recourse. It's over. It's government. Howard, this is just such a fascinating story. And the way that you just weave it together, I mean, I'm right there with you on the phone. You're listening. The judge is going through the mulling process. He gives you the verdict. You're good to go. The next day, there's this outcry. People are freaking out. But, you know, it's done. I mean, everything was done by the books. You knocked it out. I mean, wow. That is just so fascinating on so many levels and such an incredible inside peek and just a, a look at what, you know, has happened in this great entrepreneurial world in these past couple decades. And I just, I really appreciate you sharing all this stuff because it's so powerful. And it really just makes me think that, you know, an entrepreneur on fire, I just highlight one entrepreneur one time and share their journey. But I feel like I want a Howard Marks series. I want like seven days in a row of Howard Marks stories. Cause I mean, you just have too many for one episode. So we're going to have to revisit this uh, after we chat here today because, man, you just have so much greatness that you're paying forward to our audience. And let me just say from the bottom of my heart, thank you for, for what you're doing today here with Entrepreneur on Fire. And, and let's take this now to the present, to right now, the present time. I mean, you share with us an incredible story about Activision and Acclaim, and you've done so many great things. And now you find yourself here in LA or with Startup Engine, share with us right now, the present time, what's really exciting you and why? Well, my mission today is to help make Los Angeles a top technology city. Great. The reason I have this mission is very simple. Two years ago, I was done, sold the claim, got bought out by Playdom, which bought out, got bought out by Disney within three months. So I was working at Disney for a few months just to, for transition. Right. And I decided, you know what? I, I want to see what's my next move. What's my next career move? And I, I, you know, I love Los Angeles. There's so many universities. We have 65 universities. We have Caltech, 17 Nobel Prize winning professors, USC, UCLA. UCLA considered by Google one of the top five universities to hire engineers. And it's extraordinary talent, but they all leave. They all go pack it up and go to Silicon Valley. And even my friends at UCLA said, look, we, we want to change our culture. We want to be more entrepreneurial. We want to be like Stanford where they have dorms for entrepreneurs, they have programs for entrepreneurs, and they get the best students. We need to do the same. Yes. But you know what? I agree. So I started researching the market, and I heard about Y Combinator, which was an accelerator out of San Francisco and Silicon Valley. And I said, you know what? I want to I probably do the same. 
help entrepreneurs become successful. That's probably my next career because you know what? When I was early on an entrepreneur and I met with Steve Wynn and my partner Bobby, we went to see Steve Wynn and we wanted to give him some of his money back. So we wrote a check for a couple hundred grand to give him some of his money back. And he looked at the check. He said, look, I didn't do it for the money. That was not my objective. My objective was to help you because when I was a young guy in Las Vegas, I got help from a banker who took me in and helped me. And you know what he asked me to do? Pay it forward. Pay it forward. So I'm helping you guys. And I'm so glad to see that you're doing well. And that's what I want to do. And I tell you what, Howard and Bobby, you need to do the same next. That is your job. So you know what? I never forgot that. I forgot that. And I decided, you know what? That's now my time. My time is ready. I have to do it. So I started Start Engine to help entrepreneurs become successful in Los Angeles. And it's now become the largest accelerator. We've invested in over 45 startups. We help them find mentors. We help them find investors. We have a whole program to help them accelerate their business, pivot, change, move around. This is a whole conversation in its own on how entrepreneurs today with very little money can become the next Instagram, the next Tumblr. It is possible. It's possible because it's happened and it's going to happen at an accelerated rate. You'll be seeing in the next five years some extraordinary successes coming out of Los Angeles because we were there helping them make it happen. Howard, I want to take you up on that. I want to bring you back on Entrepreneur on Fire for just a segment on its own about everything that you've seen as Start Engine and just your power and inspiration behind it because that's exactly what Entrepreneur on Fire is all about, Howard. Because just like you want to revitalize Los Angeles, I myself, on a different level, want to revitalize the world. I'm really reaching out to these 145 countries that are literally downloading this episode every single day around the world in droves that are their eyes are being opened by people like yourself who are sharing these amazing journeys and paying it forward now to that next generation of entrepreneurs, making people realize that there's opportunities out there that abound. All it takes is belief and all it takes is desire, passion, and the ability to work hard towards a goal. So again, Howard, just being down the five here in San Diego, I'm just so happy to be within shouting distance of what you're doing up in LA. I could not be more of a supporter. I'm really looking forward to doing what I can to promote Start Engine through my channels, through my brands. I'm really good friends with somebody at Start Engine, John. We've already got some things in the works, and I just love what you guys have going on. So I really do want to thank you for just taking the time to pay it forward and to really be inspiring this next generation of entrepreneurs to believe and truly to, to change the world, Howard. So thank you. You're welcome. One thing I want to say is that being an entrepreneur is the hardest thing you could ever do. In fact, I think you should consider yourself crazy to want to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> the most important thing, the most important thing is never quit because if you quit, you have a 0% chance of success. Zero. Zero percent. I guarantee it. But if you continue, you pivot, you change, you continue, you move forward, I think, I really believe you'll be successful. And I hope to everybody who's listening that they will find that courage when things are dark and hard to keep moving forward and not and never to give up. And that's. I think the main trait of success for an entrepreneur, a lot of people are asking questions, well, what did you do different? And are you smarter? Or were you luckier? No, I was there. That's it. You just have to be around. And if you're there, things happen. I love the quote that luck is when effort and opportunity collide. You need to be there swinging that bat over and over again if you want to get quote unquote lucky. You need to always be in that place to have that opportunity be recognized. So I could not agree more. And the people that I've had on this show, Howard, besides yourself, I've had over 240 incredible entrepreneurs thus far on Entrepreneur on Fire. And another one goes live every single day. And people like Tim Ferriss, Gary Vaynerchuk, 
Seth Godin have all come on this show and said very similar things that they were able to do it because they persevered. Seth Godin's book, The Dip, talks about getting through that. You know, I've recently had Eric Reese from the Lean Startup on the show, and he talks about the pivot that you've mentioned more than one time and how important it is. When you hit a roadblock, you don't give up. You pivot, you change it up, you get feedback from your target market, from your audience base, and you move in that direction. And that's so powerful. Wow, I could talk about this stuff all day long, but we're going to have to take a second to thank our sponsors. Fire Nation, are you looking for an awesome resource that will provide you with great audio content that you can listen to when you're on the go? I've got you covered. I know you're going to love audible.com. I have personally been using audible.com for years, so I can speak from experience when I say I love how easy it is to log in, browse their online library, which includes titles in a bunch of different genres, and download some of my favorite titles anytime I want. Plus, because I can access my audiobooks from my PC by burning them onto a CD or by uploading them to my iPod or other MP3 device, I can listen to them wherever I am, whenever I want. Audible and Entrepreneur on Fire would like to thank you for listening to today's episode by offering you this. Get a free audiobook and 30-day trial today by signing up at audiblepodcast.com slash fire. That's audiblepodcast.com slash fire. Ting, what's Ting? Glad you asked. Ting is the hot new mobile service provider offering you more of what you love and less of what you hate. What do I mean by that? Let me break it down for you, Fire Nation. Ting offers a ton of add-ons without the extra charges like tethering, hotspot, and call forwarding. They also offer unlimited devices on one plan for a flat rate of $6 per month. And Ting doesn't do all that annoying stuff your current cell phone company does, like make you sign a contract and charge early termination fees and overages. Sound pretty legit? That's because Ting is. Ting offers their customers endless benefits with no strings attached. Take matters into your own hands today with Ting. Visit fire.ting.com and you'll receive a $25 credit good towards a new device or towards services. That's fire.ting.com. Now it's time for my favorite part of the show. And that's the lightning round. And that's where I ask you just a series of five questions and you can back at us with amazing and mind-blowing answers. Does that sound like a plan? Absolutely. <laughs> All right, buddy. What was holding you back from becoming an entrepreneur? I didn't know I was an entrepreneur. I never thought about it that way. I would say probably what's holding me back was finding a partner who felt the same way that we should start a business. And that's when I met my partner, Bobby. That made the difference from not understanding I was an entrepreneur to realizing that's what I'm about. Nice. What is the best business advice you've ever received? I mean, the best business advice I ever received was the one I, I mentioned to you. If you don't ask, you don't get. Yep. Don't ask, you don't get. And then you went ahead and shared what happened when you did ask. And that's just great for entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs out there. Just ask and you'll be shocked at what you receive. So, Howard, what's something that's working for you or Start Engine right now? What's working for us right now is that we have discovered that LA is a phenomenal place to start a business. Great place. Eager investors. They are, there's a lot of talent here. There are a lot of people who are willing to help mentors, investors. There's an ecosystem that is perfect for new entrepreneurs to come and build a business. That's really working right now. Do you have an internet resource, Howard, like an Evernote that you're just in love with that you can share with our listeners? I would say what I'm using really happy about on Gmail, there's a plugin called Reportive. Oh, I love that. Extraordinary because what it does is, you know, when you get, you get emails from people, you don't know who they are. Right. And I, got, I get tons of emails and my, my email address is not that difficult to discover, by the way. Hint, hint. <laughs> so I, I, I get an email and I can see who it is. I get a picture. I get... Um, their, their LinkedIn, which I always look at. I always look at someone's LinkedIn because I really trust that system. Their last three tweets? I get tweets, clout, score. I mean, if they have one. 
Fantastic. And then I got a trick out of it. I learned something. I said, you know what? You know, sometimes you want to send an email to someone and you're not sure if you're typing it correctly. Right. What was reported, you know you're typing it correctly because if you type it correctly, pops up their picture. Ah, so true. Now I took it one step further. I said, you know what? Maybe I can discover other people's emails. (laughs) And I love that too. I use Reportive. I'm so glad that you brought it up because, again, I ask for my guest's favorite resources all the time, but I don't always get to share mine. And this has always been one of mine. So I'm so glad you brought it up because it's incredible. Because when you get an email from somebody... It's great to get a little picture of them. That just kind of makes a connection. And you also kind of know how to craft an email. I mean, let's be honest. When I get an email from somebody that listened to Entrepreneur on Fire, and it's obvious that they're 60, 70 years old, my email is going to be crafted a little bit differently in response to them to somebody who's 20, 25 years old. There's just a little bit of a different language and a different lingo that you use with different ages and generations of people. So thank you for that. Fire Nation knows, Howard, that they can get the links to this resource and everything else that we've mentioned in today's episode by going to entrepreneuronfire.com slash Howard Marks. So, Howard, if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be? Well, I, I always recommend The Lean Startup from Eric Ries. Yes. I think it's easy read and it gets to the point that they need to understand, which is, you know... You don't want to spend a lot of your money and resources without testing and verifying early on. I mean, the idea of failing fast is very important, of pivoting is very important. I tell our entrepreneurs every day, I say, look, it's very, some some people it's easy to raise $2 million, but you know what happens? They raise $2 million. They don't realize they're still in discovery mode. They think they're in growth mode. And then what? They spend the money and there's nothing left. Nothing left shut down the company, cram down the round. It's awful. Well, I think what his book does is really inspire people to understand that it's okay to fail fast. It's okay to pivot. It's okay to stay in discovery mode a longer time than you would expect for the benefit later of having a better business. And I think he, he should get a lot of kudos for writing that book. I totally agree with that, Howard. And he was recently a guest on our show. And I just want to share a really quick story that he shared for the listeners that just proves this method so well. For instance, his business was about this chat where you could actually be an avatar online and you could be talking to people and it looked like you were actually almost in a computer game and you were having this chat with them live time. They wanted to create the ability to have the person walk across the screen over to somebody you were talking on the other side of the room and have that talk. They thought that was really important. It was going to cost millions and millions of dollars to implement. So they said, you know what, instead of waiting to do this, like a lot of people are telling us to do, waiting to release it until we have that complete, we're just going to release it now, do the shortcut of just having that person disappear and appear across the room, because that's really easy to do and it's free, and then we'll work behind the scenes about upgrading it to that later. And all the initial feedback they got was, thank God for that teleport feature. That's the coolest thing. If they had to walk over there, that'd be so annoying and time consuming. So they never spent that million and millions of dollars to implement that because they were lean. They released it to their audience as quickly as possible and got amazing feedback. So Howard, this next question's my favorite, but it's kind of tricky. So take your time, digest it, and come back at us with an answer. Imagine you woke up tomorrow morning in a brand new world identical to earth, but you knew no one. You still have all the experience and knowledge you currently have, your food and shelter is taken care of, but all you have is a laptop and $500. What would you do in the next seven days? I love that. You know, I'll tell you what I would do. I would go and find CEOs and ask them one question. If you're in my shoes right now, what would you be building? What would you be creating? And hopefully get an opportunity to build something in a world that I don't understand with their support to mentor me. I have the skill set to build it. I'm an engineer. Why not? Let's go. But I need the context. I need knowledge. They can give it to me in a shorter amount of time than anyone. I remember once, Steve Wynn came to me and said, to me and Bobby and said, I want you guys to eventually run one of my casinos. 
And I said, well, that's not really our profession. It doesn't matter. I can teach you myself in a record time in six to nine months. I can teach you how to run this place. I know how to do it and I'll teach it to you. Now, our personal needs were, nah, we're not interested. This is not what we want to do. You know, that's not our passion. But the fact that he felt that he can teach smart people how to run a complex business in a short amount of time tells you that mentoring is key. It's in some ways one of the most important things an entrepreneur needs, mentors. So I, I, I encourage our entrepreneurs who are listening, make sure you have the right mentors to help you succeed. I just love that note, Howard. And that's where we're going to end it because, man, you have just given so much today. And Start Engine, Fire Nation, Google it. Go check it out. See what they're doing there. It's some incredibly special things. And just the ripple effect that it's having on the world is unbelievable. So again, Howard, Fire Nation knows that they can find the links to everything that we've talked about at entrepreneuronfire.com slash Howard Marks. Thank you for being so generous with your time, your expertise, your experience. Fire Nation salutes you, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Thank you. To all you inspired entrepreneurs out there, are you ready to take your dreams and passions and ignite? If so, then Fire Nation Elite is for you. Fire Nation Elite is a mastermind that I have formed and will be leading. If you are in need of a tribe of like-minded entrepreneurs whose sole focus is to support, motivate, encourage, and hold accountable every member within, then Fire Nation Elite is for you. Go to firenationelite.com to find out more. That's firenationelite.com. Thank you for joining us at entrepreneuronfire.com, your daily dose of inspiration. Prepare to ignite.